you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at John chapter 21. But I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what we're looking at today before we read the text <clears throat> so that we can uh, catch the context and understand why we're reading what we're reading. Um, but if you want, the scripture is going to be printed in the bulletin on page 7. There's a place to take notes there as well. There. <clears throat> we are rapidly approaching the launch of our life groups. Um, we talked about them last week. We're actually going to launch them next Sunday. Next Sunday is going to be the week that we talk more specifically about our life groups and what you're going to be doing in them. Um, our life groups, these are going to be our new small groups that are designed to lead us all to make a difference in the lives of each other and in the lives of the city. Like our life groups are going to be about hope and renewal. As we experience that renewal ourselves, we're going to learn how to share that renewal with others. And so we're going to do two things in these groups. First, there's a weekly meeting that'll help us embrace all of God's mission for our lives. We want to embrace all of God's mission for our lives. And then second, we want to focus in these groups on how God wants to use every single one of you to bless the lives of others. There's specific ways that God has wired you. And we, wanna, we want these groups to be places where you can discover that and put it into practice. And it's the second thing. We call it relational discipleship. We call it, um, we call it that. And it's interesting because I can't tell you how many people I know who are incredibly mature Christians who have been walking with Jesus for a long, long time, <clears throat> and yet they say, you know what, I don't think I could ever disciple someone else. I don't think I could mentor someone else in my life. Um, there's young Christians who think, man, yeah, I want to learn how to do that, but I can't do that either. And it's interesting how many people think, yeah, God loves me, I don't doubt that, but I don't really think God can use me. I don't really see how I could be a benefit to someone else. I don't have anything to offer to help disciple someone else. And last week, Michael preached <clears throat> on how our past failures can deceive us. How oftentimes that's one of the reasons why we think God can't use us is because, well, I know what I've done, or I know what I'm not doing now, and our, our failures can deceive us into thinking that God can't use us. And so what I wanted to do today is I want to start, I want to just give you a quick survey. If you've ever felt that way, or if you feel that way now, that God can't use me in someone else's life, Let's just do a quick survey of the Bible and see the kinds of people that God uses, okay? Noah was a drunk. Abraham was way too old. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon wouldn't follow God by himself. Rahab was a prostitute. Timothy was too timid, David had an affair, David committed murder, Elijah was suicidal, Jonah ran away from God, Naomi was a widow, the woman at the well was divorced, Paul hated Christians and the church, and Peter denied Jesus. And yet, the reason we know these names is because these, every single one, these are people that God used. These are people that God used to change the lives of others. Man, these folks did great things for God's kingdom. So, I'm up here in different ways, 
And if you are too, then there's good news for you. God is good at working with broken people. God is good at working with people who have failed. And so today, um, I want to expand on what Michael talked about last week. Michael shared the conversation, this last one, about Peter denying Jesus. Right? Jesus told Peter before it ever happened, you're going to deny me, and I don't, want to let your, I don't want you to let your failures get in the way of me using you. Well, today, I want to look at Peter's failure again from a different angle. When we look at John's gospel, John actually shows us the conversation between Jesus and Peter after Peter's failure. Okay? And I want to look at this because I want you to see exactly how Jesus responds to our failures. Okay? I want you to see exactly how Jesus responds if you have failed him. Okay, so if you're here and you're a Christian and you failed Jesus, or if you're not a Christian and you're here and you wonder if God would ever want you, or if you could ever make something that God might want out of your life, I want you to see exactly how Jesus responds to our failures. I want you to see Jesus responding to you today. And so just, just to remind you, especially if you weren't here last week, Peter denied Jesus, right? In Jesus' most desperate hour, as Jesus was about, it was beginning the process of taking on the sin of the world, okay? Peter abandoned him. I mean, after all of Peter's bravado, and let's just look at it, Matthew 26, Peter answered him to Jesus, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And this is Peter standing before Jesus and all the other disciples saying, man, if everybody else fails, I will never fail. I will never deny you. But Peter did. Peter did fail. He couldn't handle the pressure. He denied Jesus not just once or twice, but three times. And as Michael said, it wasn't just like staccato, one after the other after the other. It was over the course of hours. Over the course of hours. And so it's interesting because when Peter denied Jesus the third time, the rooster crowed. Peter remembered that Jesus predicted this, and he was just crushed. Despair and hopelessness overwhelmed him. And it's interesting because at the start of John chapter 21, Peter actually decides that there is nothing for him to do but go back to his old life. Okay, John 21, verses 2 and 3, it says, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Uh, this, they're not recreation here. This is, <laughs> this is what they did. This is what Peter did for a living. This was his life occupation before he met Jesus. And they said to him, we, uh, we'll go with you. We'll go with you. I want you to imagine this. Peter had walked with Jesus for three years. And now he's right back where he started. Well, not right back, because Jesus isn't there anymore. He's not there. And so Peter goes back and picks up his net again. This is the same fishing net 
that he set down three years ago when he went from knowing Jesus to following Jesus. Peter put his net down because he followed Jesus, and now he takes his net up again because he failed Jesus. This is Peter's story. Peter's story. But Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus sought out and found Peter. And our text this morning is what Jesus said to Peter. John 21, verses 15 to 17. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. We're going to stop there. Are you confused by this conversation? Maybe a little bit? I mean, why does Jesus keep asking Peter? You know, does he not believe Peter? Is he trying to shame him? Is he looking for a different answer? Did Peter give the wrong answer? The key to understanding this conversation is the number of times Jesus asked Peter. Jesus asked him three times. And in this, Jesus is reminding Peter of Peter's failure. Now that might sound kind of harsh. You know, Peter denied Jesus three times. Um, maybe Peter didn't know where the conversation was going at first, but when Jesus asked him the third time, Peter was flooded with the remembrance of his threefold denial. All the shame, all the sorrow comes flooding back. As he stands before Jesus, all he can think of is, man, I failed you. And it's interesting here because what we see is that Jesus doesn't ignore our failures. Jesus doesn't ignore our sins. You have to understand that. What Jesus is doing here is Jesus is bringing up the one thing that will forever stand between him and Peter. Okay? If Jesus doesn't bring this up, then every time Peter is around Jesus, Peter will wonder, oh man, has he forgotten where do I stand? Is he okay? Does he remember? What, what do I do? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you know that in a relationship. I know for me, when I've committed a sin, every time I go to the Lord, every time I go to the Lord, doesn't matter what I'm praying about, I can feel the Lord saying, Stephen, are, are you going to deal with this? I mean, he brings it back to my mind. You ever had this experience? I'm trying to pray. It doesn't matter what I, I mean. It's literally like, okay, Lord, no, no, come on. Let's just talk about this other thing. Lord, could you please bless my family? Could you please help my, I mean, and the Lord's like, Stephen, I am more than willing to, to bless you, to bless your family. Are, are you going to talk about this or not? You know, every time I pray, I think, well, 
man, do I need to deal with this? Do, you know, do I, sh- I know I should deal with this, but I don't want to deal with this, right? And, and this is what's going on here. Peter is, Jesus is bringing up the one thing that will forever stand between him and Peter if he doesn't bring it up. And so what I want you to know is that Jesus doesn't ignore our failures. He forgives them. Okay? There is a difference between ignoring someone's sin and forgiving someone's sin. Jesus brings up our failures. He reminds us of our failures. He addresses our failures because he knows that what we need, he doesn't need someone who'll never bring it up again. Right? Oftentimes when we sin, we want it just to be gone, dead, forgotten. With God, with a spouse, in a relationship, with a coworker, we just we're just hoping they'll never bring it up again. When that happens, if that's the way that we go about solving our issues or trying to resolve conflicts, there really is no resolution, right? It just sort of gets swept under the rug, and it's there. It's a bump in the rug. You know, when I walk through the rug in my living room, I can feel every single Lego that's under the rug. Every single one. I can't see it. It's been swept under the rug for some reason or another, but it's there, and I can feel it right? And in the normal course of my day, I know it's there. Friends, that's what happens if we want our sins to be just gone, dead, forgotten. Instead, what Jesus does is he exposes them so that he can forgive them. Because that's what we need. We don't need to be hiding. We don't need to be like trying to make it like it never happened. What we need to do is we need, what Jesus knows we need is that we need to stand before him and let him forgive us. That's what we need. And so Jesus asks Peter three times. One for every time. He denied him. There's a song. I don't know if I put it up here. Yeah, okay. Um, by Steve Camp. It's just called For Every Time. And here's how the lyrics go. It says, three times Peter swore I don't know him when he said he'd follow him to the grave. A thousand bitter tears couldn't wash away the sins. In fear he wondered, what would Jesus say? Three times Jesus asked, do you love me? Three times his heart cried, Lord, you know I do. Once for every time that he denied him, Jesus restored him to the hope that he knew. And then the chorus goes like this. For every time we thought we'd gone beyond his grace, once for all, he stood in our place. Jesus comes to restore Peter. Right? Jesus comes to bring up the very thing that needs to be dealt with because that's what we need. We don't need to sweep this stuff under the rug. Jesus knows that this will haunt Peter forever. It'll haunt Peter forever if Peter doesn't hear Jesus speak to it. Sin cannot be undone, but the one who is sinned against can forgive it. Because to forgive means, it doesn't mean, hey, no big deal. To forgive doesn't mean don't worry about it. To forgive means, yes, it hurt, and I'm not going to make you pay for what you've done. That's what forgiveness means. 
And this is true with God. This is true in your relationships, your marriage, your coworkers, your, your kids. And for us, I mean, what's amazing here is that Peter is standing before the Jesus who just died and rose again. The reason Jesus can forgive is because once for all, he stood in our place. Jesus says this to Peter, and he says it to us today. Look, it's not whether or not you've failed. It's how you respond when you fail. None of us are perfect. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of God's perfect standard. None of us are perfect. The question is, how do you respond when, he, when you fail? And the way that Jesus restores, the way that Jesus expresses forgiveness to Peter is with just one question. Do you love me? Do you love me? That's the bottom line. Do you love him? Do you love Jesus today? Because if you do, then Jesus can use you. Jesus says, I don't need perfect people. I actually need people who know they aren't perfect, right? People who know they need forgiveness and who can show others how to find forgiveness with me. That's what I need. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people will go to heaven. God doesn't try to use good people. God tries to use forgiven people. Because forgiveness is the key to beginning a relationship with Jesus. Forgiveness is the key for folks who fail. And so Jesus wants to find forgiven failures. And he wants to use them. This is what he says. Jesus says in verse 15, I want you to feed my lambs. Verse 16, I want you to tend my sheep. Verse 17, I want you to feed my sheep. If you don't think you can help someone else, spiritually speaking, Jesus just says, do you love me? Because if you do, then he can, and he will use you. Now, there's something else that's going on in this passage, in this conversation, that's, that, that goes even deeper. And, and this is one of those times where um, the English translation kind of fails us. So you really need to know the Greek to, to pull this out. It's really helpful. So check this out. Isn't that amazing? You got it, right? Glory, hallelujah. It's amazing, isn't it? All right, let's pray. No, I'm kidding. Okay, no, no, no. Let's, let's do this a little different. There's three Greek words for love in the New Testament, okay? Some of you may have heard this before. There's three words that the New Testament uses, and the English translates it love. And we have the same English word for these three different Greek words, but it's helpful to understand the difference here. So first we have eros, it's where we get the word erotic in English, but this is called romantic love. So when the Bible, the New Testament talks about romantic love, it uses the term eros, the word eros in Greek. Okay, then we have phileo. Um, phileo, right? It's Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, and that's what phileo is. It's to like something, to be fond of, or to consider someone a friend, right? This is brotherly affection. It's translated in other places. Um, and then third, we have the word agape, and agape, that is God-given, supernatural, sacrificial love, okay? And so the Bible uses, 
these three different words, they get translated love. And so why is this important as we read this conversation between Peter and Jesus? Well, it actually changes everything. Let me show you. If we just translate, leave the, the Greek word untranslated, this is how it reads. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, do you agape me more than these? God-given, supernatural, sacrificial love. Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Isn't that interesting? Peter's saying, look, I sure like you a lot, Jesus, but I'm not capable of that kind of love. And I'm certainly not better than any of these other disciples here. I just prove that. But Lord, you know that I phileo you. And then verse 16, Jesus says a second time, Simon, do you agape me? And Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And it's like Peter saying, Lord, you know that I'm doing the best that I can. I can't tell you that I love you with that kind of supernatural, sacrificial love because you'll nail me to the wall because I denied you. I can't claim to love you in that way, but I'm doing the best that I can. I phileo you. And then in verse 17, Jesus said a third time, Simon, do you phileo me? And Peter's grieved because that third time he says, like, do you even phileo me? Peter says to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. You can see into my heart. Jesus, you can see past my failures, past my denials, past my, you know, my proud bravado. Lord, you can see through all that and you can see that in me there is a heart that is trying. Lord, I'm doing the best that I can. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus condescends. Like Jesus comes down and meets Peter exactly where he is. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus wants agape from Peter, but he will settle for phileo. If this is what Peter can offer, Jesus will take it. Are you with me? I mean, this is what's going on here. And what makes up the difference, it's love. When your love falls short, Jesus' love is perfect. When we're unfaithful, he stays faithful. Because above all else, Jesus wants your heart. He wants your commitment. So do you love him? Out of his extravagant grace, Jesus wants you. He just asks you for what you have. He says, what can you give me? I'll use it. I'll use it. I'm reminded of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, right? You've got 5,000 men, plus then their wives and maybe some children. There's probably 10 to 15,000 people there, scholars estimate. Jesus says, feed them. And the disciples are like, well, we can't feed them. Come on, Jesus, what are you, crazy? Qualcomm's full and you want us to feed them. All we got are five loaves and two fish. Jesus says, I can take that. Just give me what you have. 
Jesus lifts it up into heaven and begins to break it off. And God multiplies it. God multiplies it. And every single person is filled until they're satisfied. Jesus will take whatever you have as long as you love him. And he'll use you. He'll use you. If you love him, he'll use you. He'll use you to bless others. What happens is he begins to break off parts of you. And what I mean by that is he says, you know what? I want you to feed my sheep. Go care about people. Care about people. Ask them how they're doing. If you love me, then you have something to share. If you've experienced my forgiveness, if you've experienced my presence, if you've experienced any of my blessings, you can share that. And I will use that to bless others. And so many of you love Jesus. So many of you love Jesus. And you think, yeah, but. And Jesus says, no buts. Now, if you love me, that's enough. If you love me, I want you to go love someone else. And I'm going to show up there. I'm going to show up there. I want you to be forgiven and restored. You have been that for me if you love me. Part of the reason you love me is because I've forgiven you and I've restored you. Now, I want you to share that with others. I want you to care about others. As we move into these life groups, we're going we're to teach you how to do this. We're training our leaders so that they can disciple you. And we want you to turn around and disciple each other. I mean, it can be as simple as just knowing where somebody else wants to grow. Like, what are they working on in their lives? You can ask them by finding out. So, yeah, like, what are you working on? What's God teaching you? Are there areas of your life where you're trying to grow? Tell me about that. I'm going to pray for you. Would you mind if I, if maybe we talked about some Bible verses that might help you grow like that? I'm going to ask you how you're doing, because I want to encourage you. And I want to, I want to remind you that, you know what, that if you love Jesus, he's going to use you. He's going to be working in your life, right? It could be as simple as that. This is extravagant grace. This is a God who takes broken people, heals them with his grace. And it's not, it's interesting, it's, it's almost not that they're healed, but it's his grace in them that makes them able then to bring healing to others. Right? It's the gold of God's grace that heals us and it equips us to love others. I want you to start asking yourselves, Lord, who is it in my life that you've called me to feed? Who is it in my life that you're calling me to tend to? Who can I care about? Our hope and our plan, my plan for each one of you, is that you're going to have identifiable people who can remind you that this is Jesus in your life. And then you can have identifiable people that you can make sure know this is how Jesus feels about them. Right? I want people pouring into you, and then I want you pouring in to others. That's what discipleship is. That's how our church 
is going to become all that God wants it to be. It's as we just commit, Lord, we're not perfect, but we love you. Jesus says, that's perfect. That's what I need. 